Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Tracy Ray from the employment law firm of Baron Lehman. Tracy says that OPB sponsorship is a great way to support the community and connect with Baron Liebman's clients. From the Gert Boyle Studio at OPB, this is Think Out Loud. I'm Dave Miller. Earlier this month, a panel of judges for the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals allowed the Chinook salmon season in Alaska to open for the summer while it considers arguments in a lawsuit filed by the Wild Fish Conservancy. Chinook or king salmon are the primary food source for an endangered population of orcas in the Puget Sound. The Seattle-based nonprofit sued to prevent the fishery from operating this year. Julia O'Malley is a third-generation Alaskan and a freelance journalist based in Anchorage. She recently wrote an article for The New York Times about the decline of Chinook, and she joins us now. Julia O'Malley, welcome. Thanks for having me. I want to start with this legal challenge that threatened to prevent Alaska's king salmon fishery from opening at the beginning of this month. Why did the Wild Fish Conservancy bring it? It's complicated. Um, It's a pretty technical lawsuit that has to do with Alaska's um, ability to operate a fishery that involves that could incidentally catch some salmon um, that are endangered from Pacific Northwest rivers. We might back up a minute. Um, most of the fish that people are ca- that fishermen are catching in Alaska come from streams in Alaska. And everybody knows salmon are born in streams. They leave fresh water or they go out into the ocean for a period of time and come back. But the king salmon that are subject of the suit come from the Pacific Northwest mainly. So they're coming from places in Washington and Oregon that have had really serious habitat problems, um, mostly because of dams, but there are lots of other problems too. So in that population of millions of fish that come up into the Gulf of Alaska, mainly um, in their, you know, the part of their life when they're growing, um, there are a few stocks that are endangered. So in order to open that fishery, Alaska has to um, just talk about how it would mitigate the loss of any of the fish that might be endangered. Um, so stop me if this is getting too technical. No, but, this is important. And, um, and it's actually it's, it's interesting because we've talked a lot about about the you know Columbia River runs or other Oregon or Washington runs, but not too much about the way they they could intersect in, out in the ocean with Alaskan runs. Right. So Alaska's this fishery, these fish are managed with an international treaty. Um, So Alaska, Canada, Washington, and Oregon get together at, you know, various intervals and talk about the health of the runs and how much would be sustainable for harvest. And then what indicators there might be in any state when the harvest needs to be suspended or reduced due to low returns. So these fish are, they monitor them very carefully. Um, and, um, and so anyway, uh, the, in a sort of technical part of the complaint, the, the, the conservancy's complaint, um, the, a judge found that the mitigation plan, the description of how, you know, the loss of the endangered species fish would be mitigated Um, The idea was to produce additional hatchery fish, but those hatchery fish have their own impact. And the way that that was described, at least this is how it's been explained to me, in the government's plan was not specific enough. And so because of that, uh, 
there was, you know, there was a decision that halted temporarily halted effectively halted Alaska's Alaskan fishermen's ability to fish. Um, But then that, of course, that decision was appealed by various parties in the state and it's now headed to the court of appeals. And in the meantime, there was a stay that allowed fishermen to fish because, um, and the argument there was that, you know, in the deciding time, um, that it would have been a tremendous economic damage to the state. Um, so anyway, does that help clarify things? It does. But but I, I want to now zero in on um, on the actual the, – the Chinook runs um, that are, you know, f- come from Alaskan rivers and then go – I mean, eventually spawn and go, go, go back to those rivers because those are declining as well. So what's happening there and, and what do we know oh, about the reasons? So this is a complicated thing and um, – Fish runs are super variable and uh, they, if you look at a trend line for the global catch of Chinook salmon starting like in 1925 when we were like not regulating anything um, to now, you're going to see a pretty good decline over time. If you look at Alaska and what fish are caught in Alaska and sold to processors, you will also see a decline. That is partially due to the abundance of the fish and partially due to increasingly conservative management schemes. Um, So, you know, as scientists learn more, they limit the amount that's caught. And but even so, the fish are facing a myriad, myriad challenges from the Sacramento River to the Yukon River and the full, you know, kind of spectrum of their range. And those are, you know, we got dams, we have all these climate change related things. So if, um, you know, there's a big amount of rain, it can wash all of the eggs out of a stream, you got fires burning down the trees around streams, you've got, um, you know, there's like so many different there's they because of the increase in water temperature, the fish are more susceptible to disease. Heat stress can kill them. Plus, in the parts of the Pacific Northwest where we've dammed rivers, it's just super duper hard for them to return and spawn. Um, and that's been a, a pretty significant thing in terms of what's really messed with these fish in question. Um, then, you know, there is there are factory trawlers out in the Bering Sea. Um, that is a geographically really far from this fishery. Um, some of those fish from the Pacific North- Northwest may range out there and they could be caught by the trawlers and trawlers are after specific species that are not, they're permitted to catch specific species that are not salmon. Salmon are caught incidentally and those salmon are thrown back to sea. Um, so wasted. Um, scientists will tell you that there is no one smoking gun Um You know, the other thing, another big issue is hatchery fish. Um, A lot of the fish that are caught in the Alaska fishery were actually born in hatcheries. And in the past, those hatchery runs were not carefully managed. And some of those strains hurt the the wild strains. So they were able to outcompete the wild strains. Um, so, you know, you, it's surprising, but I, I heard in the reporting of the story that for that 
those specific Northwest runs going up into the Gulf and coming back down that like 75% of those fish are hatchery. And in Alaska, you know, um, a good percentage of the Alaskan king salmon are also hatchery fish. Um, you note that it's not just a question of, of fewer king salmon than there used to be. It's that the remaining ones are a lot smaller. Can you just give us a sense for the difference in size? Well, you know, for, so when I was growing up, um, this is kind of what got me on the story to begin with. When I was growing up, the fish, you know, it wasn't a big deal to catch a king salmon for one thing, but the fish are really big. Like, you know, somebody could catch a 60 pound fish. And just to give you a sense, like red salmon, if you were to go to new seasons today and go to the fish counter and buy some red salmon, one of those fillets is like two pounds, you know, maybe, um, and so a 60-pound fish is just this, like, crazy, tremendous, powerful fish. Um, and now, you know, I was in a small fishing town when I was reporting this story called Pelican, and they were having a fish derby. And, you know, people were bringing out their coats from when they had won the derby previously. And, you know, and on the back of the coat, it says how much the fish was, you know, it's embroidered. It says how much the fish weighed. And it'd oh, be like, like, a, like a varsity jacket. Yes, totally. Um, and it'd be like 58 pounds or whatever, huh. but the fish... That the winning fish when I left Pelican, I actually don't know who won the Derby, was under 30 pounds. Um, you know, so it, if that gives you kind of a sense. And I think they're even smaller in the Pacific Northwest. Um, I was hearing 11 and 12 pounds. Um, they still Everything is smaller big. here. Yeah. <laughs> they still look pretty big. But, you know, there's a it's hard to look to there's also a lot of reasons people gave me for that um you know one of them was just that everybody from apex predators to fishermen are looking for those bigger fish hmm. um especially in the sport and sport fishing is a total dynamic you know there's whole towns in alaska that were built around as an international destination to go sport fish for these massive salmon trophies you know um but everybody wanted those big fish. And so that's one thing. But also, you know, the dynamics in the ocean have changed. The fish are not spending as long of time out there. And king salmon spend the longest time in the ocean before they return. Um, and they're coming back earlier. So something is signaling them to return earlier. So they don't have as long of time to grow. Um, you know, there's just a lot of things going on. Um, I was you know, really are, struck. You, 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 you mentioned so you mentioned pelican. I was really struck yeah. by one of the quotes you got from a fisherman there, Ajax Eggleston, who said, "The health of the species, meaning these Chinook." He said, "It's doomed, man. I'm not optimistic about the future of trolling. We'll be eating bugs and farmed fish from New Zealand." Yeah. What What else did you hear from? from fishermen, from processors, from native Alaskans about what this means for the future? Well, we're not at like, this is a slow decline. And also importantly, scientists do not say, the people managing these fisheries do not say that they cannot be fished at this point, that there are not enough fish to sustain them. But we are looking out into the future if we continue along this trend line, which I imagine that we will at eventually this kind of given this up, not being able to do it. Um, but the thing that's important to understand and what an environmentalist I talked to in the process of reporting this told me is that when people are not connected directly to the fish, they lose their stake in it. So when people are not eating it and fishing it, they lose their stake in it. 
Um, and in Alaska, this wild food, these king salmon are so important to people's ability to live in place. And that matters for non-Native people, but in particular, it matters for Native people who are also supporting many of their communities with commercial fishing. Um, these are places that hold language, they hold culture, uh, they hold memory, they hold identity. And if you can't, in Alaska, you cannot really separate how people see themselves in the place that they live. But if you cannot economically live in a place, you lose all of this cultural stuff. So there's a lot at stake for these people fishing um, in not being able to fish. Hmm. You mentioned New Seasons earlier, and, and it wasn't just an offhanded comment. You note in your recent article that the biggest customer for one processor that you talked to was Portland's New Seasons grocery store. But he also said that New Seasons stopped buying Chinook in 2020 because of, uh, I guess, questions from customers or concerns about orcas or concerns about the sustainability long-term of the fishery. Are other buyers making similar decisions? You know, that's just really hard to tell. That was actually one of the more surprising things for me because I didn't really realize that, you know, that orca issue was so uh you know, had made such deep inroads into the marketplace. Um, the thing about that is it's so much more like all of these things, you know, we're at the grocery store and we're like, you know, it's like that, I'm sure you get tired of this, but that Portlandia skit where they're like ordering the chicken, but they want to know how the chicken felt before, you know, like, um, the well, but down, it, it's 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 putting onto the consumer all kinds of, of questions um, because it feels like, it's up to us sometimes to make these ethical decisions because right. the because the, the the market as a whole is not, and so so we get paper or plastic or a, a million versions of them. And and exactly. I guess you're saying that that the that that salmon is a, is is a version of that. Absolutely, and so certainly, like right now, red salmon is just bonkers abundant. The price is great. There's like no reason not to buy red salmon, right? Um, king salmon, it's like okay. You know, if you don't buy, eat and buy it, will it impact the like, you know, will it impact this iconic, amazing orca population outside Puget Sound? And I don't I mean, most scientists who I've talked to have said, boy, it's a lot more complicated than just the Chinook. This group of orca face sound pollution and they hunt using sound. So that's important. They face, you know, their genetics are, they're inbred because they're such a small population. So their genetics are not strong and they are exposed to a ton of PCBs. Um, and so if you look more north at the northern residents, which is another group of orcas, they've, they're doing pretty good. And in general, orcas are doing pretty well, like better than they have in 40 years because of the Marine Mammal Protection Act. And one scientist pointed me to a study that was like, look, because we have so many more orcas that are more northern than the southern residents, they're intercepting the Chinook salmon at levels they never have before. And orcas eat a lot of fish, more like, you know, by many times than the entire troller 
fleet catches. So there's also this issue of like the way that we manage and protect some wildlife and the way that we manage and protect other wildlife and the interdependence of those two things. So it's pretty complicated, but it's, you know, the decision about whether or not to eat Chinook salmon, I don't know how much of an impact that actually has on the orcas. You know, I don't know that you can definitively say how much of an impact that has. It's just not a simple choice, I would say. Julia O'Malley, thanks very much for your time. I appreciate it. Okay. Thanks for having me. Julia O'Malley is a freelance journalist based in Anchorage. She wrote about the many effects of dwindling Chinook or King Salmon numbers in Alaska. Just as a reminder, there are a lot of ways you can get in touch with us if you have comments about what we've done or questions or suggestions. On Facebook, we are at OPBTOL. You can email us, thinkoutloud at opb.org. And you can also leave us a voicemail whenever you want, 503-293-1983. Think Out Loud and all of OPB's reporting in our communities are made possible by the support of our members. Do your part to help make it happen. Become a sustaining member now at opb.org pod.